Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. I am joined today by news editor Bradley Gerard. How are you doing, Bradley? Good, John. Thank you. Good. And tips editor Algie Hall. How are you doing, Algie? Hi, very good. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. How's standing desk working out for you? Lovely, yeah. I'm... I've got a bad back myself now. I think I might get one. Uh, right, so anyway, it's been a, a kind of mad week. Again, some mad stuff's happened today, which obviously isn't in the magazine, not least the uh, High Court ruling on the uh, triggering of Article 50. Which yeah, is that's going to cause some debates around the uh, the Sunday lunch dinner table, isn't it? Not my Sunday lunch dinner table. But yeah, I mean, Sterling shot up again today against uh, both dollar and the euro, and I presume other currencies as well. They're the only ones I've looked at. But yeah, I mean, fascinating stuff. Obviously, we've got an election going on in the United States, and that's all gone kind of in the opposite direction from where it was going a week ago, which is also quite mad. Yeah, it's quite worrying, actually. We got sent some um, stats from one of the um, sort of uh, odds, uh, odds sort of, um, I think it was odds checker, actually, <laughs> who checked sort of odds across the market. And the, the, the way in which the betting is going in terms of whether Clinton or Trump will win is very similar to how Brexit was. So much more money, I think, was put on Remain but more bets were put on leave and leave one. And it's the same thing again. Much more money is on Clinton, but there are more a greater number of bets on Trump. Yeah, I think I saw a stat in the last few days that's 91% of bets are, are on yeah. the Trump victory now. Which is crazy. And it, it does kind of scare me a little bit because it kind of really does make you think actually, well, of course, I mean, it's, it's almost a two-horse race, isn't it? There are other candidates, but it's basically a two-horse race. So obviously he has a chance of winning, but... That fact is is quite scary. <laughs> Indeed, actually, this is something that Chris Dillo has talked about in uh, his comment pieces this week. Uh, when markets fail, and talking about how betting markets can get things so wrong, which they obviously did uh, in the case of the Brexit. Well, you say we, you say they got them wrong, but but actually, if the majority are what we're listening to, then they got it right. Well, exactly, but, yeah. But yeah, anyway, Chris Dillo has looked at this this week in his usual fantastic way. So that's worth a read. I've mentioned the U.S. presidential election in my column. Because I think it's quite interesting. Markets have obviously reacted to the fact that Trump has either narrowed the gap to to Clinton or, according to some polls, overtaken. And and markets have taken fright at this. Uh, But my view is, what difference does it make? You know, I mean, Trump has said some mad things. but but he still has to get this stuff pushed through uh, the the the, the law making system in America, and that, that's not necessarily going to happen whether he becomes president or not. No, let's face it, the Congress and the Senate are um, sort of unruly beasts. So yes, indeed, and he doesn't exactly have the backing of uh, the Republican Party no. as we've seen uh, over the last month. Anyway, that's that's fascinating. Um, what have we actually got in the magazine? Let's start with seven days, Bradley. Yeah, I guess um, on the sort of staying on a higher level macro sort of theme, I suppose there's an interesting um, bit of research by Willis Towers Watson, which they um, co-compiled. Um, and it looked at the amount of money run by the world's 500 largest fund managers, and this actually fell for the first time in five years, which is quite interesting. And that the amount was bigger than the amount that went out was bigger than the amount that went out during the financial crisis, and um, a big drain on assets has been um, sovereign wealth funds, many of which are run by oil-dependent economies. So it's quite interesting. This sort of pressure on the oil price has obviously created pressure on economies which rely a lot on oil revenue for their finances. And so obviously what they've been doing to supplement that income is actually withdrawing a lot of the money they invest. So this has had quite a large effect on to a very large scale of asset managers, which is quite an interesting, just as an interesting sort of macro investment sort of trends going on. So, so the withdrawal of funds uh, is not necessarily a 
risk off based uh, decision, not necessarily a fear based decision, more a practical decision. Yeah, it's almost like sort of like financial management decision in a way. You know, mm. a, an element of their portfolio, if you will, their their oil income is, is not what it was, and so they're having to um, think about that in a more strategic way. Right, while we're on the subject of oil, should we talk about the uh, lead story? In the news section, which is uh, Shell BP, which both announced third quarter results this week. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, normally they they move, as Alex um, Newman rightly says in the first uh, paragraph, that normally their share prices move pretty much in tandem, if, if all things being equal, obviously. Um, but yeah, Shell um, produced what the market saw as much more favourable results than BP, even though BPs weren't terrible. Um, but Shell just seems to have that bit more impetus behind it i mean alex sort of talks about the fact that shell is um definitely obviously very keen to manage its um near-term cash flows um it's expecting its investments in 2017 to be at the lower end of previous guidance um which obviously gives a bit more confidence around the dividend that type of thing that's what we're worried about really with shell well that's what everyone's worried about i mean bp and shell are just such big dividend stocks in the uk they're they're in everyone's pension fund pretty much i would guess well, the Strong dollar, or rather weak pound, must be working for them as well, certainly if you're receiving their income. Yes, precisely. That is a good thing at the moment. Obviously, it'd be very interesting in two weeks' time if we have a Trump president and um, increased you know, litigation about Brexit, then we could be back to where we were almost prior to the referendum. You could have the pound strengthening, the dollar weakening. Then, then I don't know, but it all sounds like volatility to me. It does, yeah. Basically, normal market machinations, I suppose, but on a enhanced scale at the moment. Not that normal. The, well, markets move normal, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> the, the amount they might move in the Trump presidency, I suppose, yes, that's that's not normal. That's yeah. Um, so, so of the two, we, we still prefer Shell? Yep. Um, that's Alex's view. We, we prefer Shell as in terms of uh, you know, our, our preferred London-listed integrated oil major play. Um, the BG acquisition seems to have gone very well for them. And... Um, yeah, with BP, I mean, it, you know, it, it, its upstream division recorded a $942 million loss for the year. So while one of their measures of profitability was ahead of consensus expectations, that, that division is, is struggling. And that's obviously a bit of a, a worry, which is why Shell went up for and BP went down for. Let's talk about Alex's other story, because this is another big one this week. A lot of our readers will be interested in that serious minerals, which has decided it's going to raise a huge amount of money. Yes, and actually it's done so very quickly. It basically today actually has said that it's pretty much raised all of the money it wanted to. $1.2 billion. Yes, but importantly, there is a retail element to its fundraising, which remains open, I understand, having spoken to Alex this morning. So um, while the story sort of looks as if, um, in a way, it's already sort of kind of mostly played out, the, the part of the reason why we were very interested in it was that there is this retail element. that That's still open. People can still get on board with this very, very interesting project, which has had some sort of high-profile backing recently um australia's hancock prospecting chucked in a, a big load of money a few weeks ago to support it um it's a big potash um project basically is the simplest way to put it yeah and then there's been lots of concerns about whether it would actually ever be able to get this project off the ground but it's looking close to becoming a reality yeah i mean there's so, so i mean the shares fell on the back of the fundraising which you would expect yeah because I mean, of the sheer scale of it yeah but, but actually there's a lot of support for it suggesting the project i mean if has you, legs alex actually very wrote a very good blog on this probably a couple of months back now so if you, you just type serious minerals into our search engine online you'll find it pretty pretty easily um and he was writing at the time that the share price had just gone up an awful an awful lot and so uh, investors should be very sort of careful about what they 
what that's baking in basically because as you say yes there's a lot of confidence behind this stock there's a lot of belief what they're aiming to do can happen but they are a long way off of actually doing it so a lot of hope is in that in the, is in that share price uh, even in spite of it having come down quite a lot because of the, the fundraising indeed it's a bit of a marmite stock as uh, we <laughs> we uh once displayed publicly in the tip section before i know you became editor of the yes. tip section i've, I've, le- I've learned that lesson yeah so, so i think we talked about this on the podcast yeah before. we a ran a buy and a sell yeah. in the and we got so much abuse from some people <laughs> but some people quite liked it but uh i mean it's one of those stocks if you've backed it up to now you could have made a lot of money if you stay in there it's very speculative like, but if you bought you it have... at the wrong time you could have lost a lot of money true well, yeah if you bought it probably a few weeks ago now it's not looking so good, but there is a reason for that, the fundraising. So, But yeah, it's, it is a speculative play. I think if you're going to invest in it, you need to be very, very sort of cognizant of that. And we're saying hold. We are. You might as well if you're in there already. Yeah. <laughs> but certainly not one we'd encourage chasing now, given not, the speculative nature. Not quite yet, no. Let's talk about the seven days. Uh, JD Sports is a, it's a company we do like. We've always been positive on. I think we uh, it's in the permabuy category pretty much. Yeah, we, we, we tipped it at a very good time. Based we tipped on it, it. We tipped it loads of times. We tipped it kind of close to the bottom. Julia Bradshaw, I think. But it's a great business, but they've done something this week that uh, is quite interesting. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's arguably, in a sense, it's kind of a, it could be seen as a relatively normal thing to do. But the reason we thought with coverage is because it, it makes the stock potentially more accessible to sort of in, um, private investors, obviously like our readers and listeners. Um, the share price has gone up an awful lot. And as Algie said, we've, we've tipped it regularly and at the right times and we're a strong supporter of it. But what they're going to do is split the shares to basically make the share price a bit cheaper. So it's not a worry if you're in it, you'll, you'll still own the same the same proportion of the company will just be in the form of a greater number of shares so yeah. you're not really being diluted but yeah there is the it, it sort of just makes the share price optically come down and therefore Fif- one can buy it 15 quid it's not insane obviously there are no. shares that are much much more um much more costly in pounds than that but maybe the the value orientated uh, customer of jd is similar to its uh, investor yeah, indeed. I know she's got a little story on insurance here, which uh, which uh, seems to be doing very well at the moment. Yeah, it's an interesting sector because we've we've got the um, sort of demerger going on over at Eshaw. Um and yeah, this was about MoneySupermarket.com, which um, basically sales were up twelve uh, percent in its insurance products, and it's done. It's just a, a part of the market that seems to be doing very very well indeed. And we had um, an update. I think it was from Hastings Group, which only listed quite recently. Um, uh, which is more car insurance um, than sort of broader insurance, but um, yeah, they're doing very well as well. So it's a part of the market that's um, pretty robust at the moment. Which one's money supermarket? Epic Strutter. Yes, Epic Strutter. Yeah, I, yeah I, see, I noticed they're also talking about energy switching here as well, which has done well for them. They I do. switched. I switched energy supplier this week. Did you? Good. Yeah. I, I heard you to do that. I remember. You did. I did it, Bradley. Good. I followed your advice, and well I'm going to save about five hundred pounds a year. It's not to be sniffed at. It's not certainly not. Although what, um, we we switched recently, and we just got um, a bill through saying we're having to put up your the amount we charge. <laughs> well, yeah, but I've gone into a fixed rate deal for for twelve months, and then I'll switch again. Oh, well, no, we were on a fixed rate deal. We are, but they say we use more electricity than they had originally estimated. Yeah, but you, it's the price, your your unit price that you'll fix that, isn't it? So yeah. you might use... Well, just stop using so much electricity. Okay, okay, what, right. what are you up to? <laughs> <laughs> I felt cheated anyway. As a consumer, that's my right. You felt cheated because you happen to use more <laughs> yeah. electricity. I, think, I don't think that's what switching is all about. Yes, anyway, I use the old Zoopla thing. You switch. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's what I use. Yeah, yeah it's good, easy, yeah. easy peasy. 
This is not an endorsement, but it was very easy. Okay, pay. I know this has made its way into the moaning about pay again. Well, not necessarily moaning. I mean, the, the Investment Association um, has a, um, a list of principles which it updates annually, and it's just done that again. Um, and it's this is surrounding the um, the way in which listed companies should approach the payment of their executives and their staff, and the way in which that pay is presented to investors, and to make it easy and understandable. Staff more, executives less. Uh, yes, well, that <laughs> <laughs> that's on your placard. I'm not sure that's in the. Uh, in, IAs, not in their uh, recommendations. No, no. Oh, all wrong. <laughs> Although I say that, I mean they they do one of their one of their suggestions was to put a, a ratio in which would show how much more the the executive team is being paid compared to its employees, which obviously on a if nothing else on a PR level would potentially put the buffers on pay rises, possibly, mm, possibly not. Yes. Um, but yeah, I think I don't, it's, it's it's an interesting time, obviously, because we've got in 2017, I believe I'm right in saying we're going to have the first round of binding votes on pay since Vince Cable's um, move to give shareholders that that power. He he put it in when he was um, in the coalition on a three-year cycle. And I think 2017 is going to be the first year where until uh, 2016, we had a big, big outcry against these big pay rises. But those votes against um, such pay increases or the sort of larger minorities who opposed them, those were merely advisory votes. But next Mm. year, I believe they will be binding for many companies. What about time to? Yeah, so it'll be in- it's, just, it's interesting that obviously the IA has proposed some ways in which um, companies could make their pay a bit more um, transparent and it's better to suggest to them to better explain why bonuses have been paid for a given period, that kind of thing. It'll just be, it will be interesting to see how companies and their remuneration committees respond to these suggestions with 2017, obviously very, very much around the corner. Well, we cover pay a lot. Uh- Columnist Paul Jackson. And I spoke uh, to Paul about it. Indeed, yeah. I saw it. It's good to quote your own experts. It is, like yeah. He, he was very helpful. He knows what he's talking about. He well. certainly does. Yeah, and I hope other people, the IA, I, I can't believe they wouldn't read what he's writing because it's pretty spot on. Yeah, I, th- I think they would. They would, yeah. Good. Right, just to round off the news, J.D. Weatherspoon statement, presumably the usual Brexit moaning, all those taking on a slightly different hue this time. Yeah, it's, it's, um, I'd say it is always a joy reading Tim Martin's little outburst. He sort of takes a takes an aim instantly. Uh, I think it was Merkel, Hollande and um, Juncker. He has, always has a bit of a, a blow at What's those guys. What's he upset guys. about this time? Oh, just, just their very being, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, but interesting. It's bullying vines of oh, yeah. I couldn't quite get my head around what he was moaning about specifically essentially I mean as a we, we have the shares on a, on a sell and since the referendum that, that's been the wrong call they've absolutely flown since the referendum um, but on this trading update they did fall and, and partly for the reasons um, that were behind our rationale for suggesting um, investors sell the stock the costs are likely to rise, basically, partly because of wages, partly because of the investment they're going to put into their current estate, which is going to rise to 60, uh, 60 million from 34 million the prior year. And margins are kind of looking around stable at about 7%, but that's not quite as good as it has been historically for them or their or their peers, really. So the margins were a big thing behind our, our sell tip. And we, we think that there's potential pressure there, even though they're guiding 7% for the full year. Uh, they can probably hit that, but going into the next few financial years it's just a you know they're a they're a discounter in in a tough market and they've got a big workforce which is well the, the percentage of their workforce which will be benefiting from the rise in the living wage or the national living wage is, is quite big and that's mm. a big cost so it's a, it's a tough game i mean 
we'll see. I, you know, I'm I'm confident in our sell tip still. I didn't didn't sort of remove it or change it on this in spite of the big rise since the referendum and. Yeah, I think it's going to be the right call. Yeah, but you never—you used to cover the sexy, didn't you, Andrew? You, you were never, yes, yeah, you were never did, yeah. a huge fan of Weatherspoon. Is yeah, that a um, personal distaste well, or a, a financial <laughs> one? <laughs> I don't—I don't drink in their pubs. It must be said, but um, they don't own the freehold, which um, makes them a bit different to the other. They—they—they may well, they—they they mainly operate a leasehold model, which makes them a bit different. But the margin issue has been. The real problem for them, they, they've expanded quickly because you can with leases, you don't need the capital to expand the estate. They went for a big um, sales grab, but it came at the cost of margins and that's persisted over a long period. So um, I think, I mean, that's really where, you know, where, where the scepticism is with Weatherspoons, weather I think <laughs> still. But I mean, but also you could say, you know, you can flip that argument around and say they have, they did build a lot of sales and, you know, if they could restore the margin, then, um, then you saw some evidence of that. That you know you you could you could have up, have upside there just but I mean the, the the evidence as Bradley says is more to the downside at the moment and also yeah. they've they've bought back or rather Tim Martin has bought back a lot of shares and I think actually the um, the update before this they said that they had to apply to city regulators to basically once one party owns 30% they're obliged to make an offer for the group and he had to apply to um, have that like nullified because mm. he was about to approach 30%. I mean, he's been buying a lot of shares, which has probably helped the share price a bit as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, they, they made um, a statement in this update that they're planning to reduce their net debt to EBITDA ratio in the long term, however long that is, I don't know, but between zero and two times. It's like 3.47 now. That's quite an ambitious goal. So they either need to make up a lot more cash or cut a lot of costs so I, I don't know it just seems like a a very bullish bullish goal to achieve and i'm not not sort of sure of that myself no talking of uh trouble rolls royce uh not a, a good week for them I, I watched a documentary actually this week the panorama documentary on alleged corruption and i guess uh this has really come out this week quite quite significantly yeah it has i mean i, I think it's um linked to the sort of ongoing serious fraud office investigation into the company um which launched in december 2013 yeah i mean i i guess a lot of our listeners will likely have either watched the bbc's panorama program and i think i believe they tied up with the guardian as well to to to, to do the story and it basically kind of looks at the allegations that there were payments made to um agents in various countries um which the allegations suggest then led to successful contract wins i mean rolls royce for their part have made it clear that they do not tolerate business misconduct or inappropriate behavior of any kind and they also say that they are fully cooperating with authorities and they can't comment beyond that because it's an ongoing investigation these must go back some way these allegations then i think they do yeah i think preceding uh, the change of management there yes yeah 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 it's a long story. It's a long, long story. It's been going on, it seems, a, a little while without sort of wanting to uh, promote a rival. I mean, maybe, yeah, If for the, a deep, in-depth analysis, obviously it was the BBC's and Guardian's story. One should maybe, um, yeah, turn to the Panorama programme and have a look. Yeah, I mean, I do... It's a funny one. I do like Rolls-Royce. I own their shares. They make great products. I'm surprised they, they feel the need to, to bribe people to sell them because they really are this is best thing, in class. It is a strange thing. Yeah. Which would make you think that perhaps, if it's true, this is simply the cost of doing business in certain jurisdictions. Maybe. I mean, let's, and, let's face it. I mean, Rolls-Royce is not the first company to have been accused of such behaviour. 
and other companies have even been found guilty of it. And as you say, while it seems, while it is reprehensible in terms of the business practice and moral code and law here, in other countries, perhaps it's maybe the same, but not quite as strictly so. I, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know because I don't conduct business in multiple jurisdictions. No, but. no. I mean, let's let's also face facts as well. We're talking about arms dealing. Yeah. I mean, if 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 you're worried that corruption is leaving a bad taste in your mouth, <laughs> yeah. it's an arms dealer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, okay, perspective. Exactly. But nevertheless, illegal. So let's see what happens there. Yeah. Algie, should we, uh, should we move on to your uh, excellent cover feature? Oh, yes, yeah. Well, I've, I've, you, designed, I've... you wrote the feature, designed the cover, <laughs> <laughs> even drew me a little picture. Well, I have spent 10 uh, years at the IC hoping to get zombies on the cover of the magazine. But you've achieved your dream. My work's done. <laughs> he's leaving <laughs> but also actually at, at the 10 years I spent at the IC have, has, have seen a period in which value investing as a style has underperformed significantly um, which, which is unusual because there's a long historic trend and a lot of academic literature showing that value investing beats, beats growth, growth investing so um, that, that's where the cover features on it's just um, kind of a, a look at why this has happened and um, you know what what could happen now is there an argument that value is um, going to start outperforming again as it historically has done yeah so I mean value in principle you know we should be loving this identifying underperforming shares that have been sold off perhaps too harshly by the market yeah and you know essentially bagging a bargain yes it's I not mean been working and it seems it seems odd that it's not been working yeah no because I mean the, the the theory is that um when when shares underperform and they get cheap what will happen um in the round is that um the um enough of them will come back that um you'll you'll make more money by backing those cheap ones and you will overpaying for what's already um being priced into the shares and then watch them disappoint and um lose out so um uh, I mean, it's, it's the the the, the argument essentially it's all based around reversion to the mean, which um, is um, one one of the um, interviewees for the um, piece kind of discusses quite a lot in it. Um, I mean, reversion to the mean has essentially gone out the window over the last six or seven years, and and, and some are suggesting that's because of the distorting impact of yeah. quantitative easing. Yeah, so so cheap um, cheap financing just means a lot of uncompetitive companies have which we call stuck around zombies. Zombies. <laughs> See, there is a link. There's a link. There? <laughs> well, also, I think originally we were going to call the feature "Death of Value," the death of value, which we, which I, I think would have you know headline. It's a kind of good headline, but it's not quite what the piece is about because it's um, not suggesting the phenomenon is is dead. Yes, <laughs> it's suggest, but it is saying it has. It just hasn't worked for ten years. Is 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 there something deeper going on, or is it is it to do with the interest rate cycle, basically, which is the the value well, investors who are? Um, well, you say the interest rate cycle. It's not or, really been much of a cycle. Yeah, exactly, so. the lack of an interest rate cycle. <laughs> but but I mean, but but also, what we see now, and maybe it's another full storm, is obviously people are looking towards a second rate rise by the Fed and possibly tightening by. Other um, other countries and there's a lot of appetite it seems for interest rate rises at the moment and bond yields are rising so uh, it it could it's it looks like a scenario which could play in in favour of value but one of the interesting things with these value stocks is that although a lot of the people I spoke to did seem to have valuation arguments when you look at the kind of bigger picture numbers which is what I was really interested in looking at in this feature you don't really see a very um, compelling 
argument for value as a whole, the P um, premium that growth stocks are valued at over um, value stocks is has been fairly consistent for the last 10 years, um, unlike during the tech boom, for example, when um, it's shot away. Price to book, these companies do look cheap, though, uh, cheaper than growth stocks. And that, that does kind of feed into the idea that return on um, capital has been hurt by um, the quantitative easing type policies. So, um, I mean, that, 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 you know, that is a potential valuation argument. But, um, and we do, we do have examples of, of value as working as a strategy in the past 10 years. I mean, Simon Thompson, for example, who you yes, mentioned. Yeah. I mean, he's a value, his bargain shares in particular is a value Absolutely. approach. Absolutely. It's a classic value approach. And, obviously, and, then, and then he goes in, he kind of uses a classic value approach to look, to look for stocks. And then he kind of goes in and really gets involved with the nitty gritty. And um and then recommends um stocks for that portfolio on that basis. So um, yeah, and, and it, it, that's done fantastically. And then I, I've cited some other um value fund managers whose funds have outperformed um a lot over the period. I mean, you know, it, it, it's it's a total, you know, it's a strategy. Value investing does work on an individual, um, you know, by investor to investor, but. There's definitely been headwinds to um, that strategy. Yeah. And growth has been easier. Growth has been easier. Growth has Buy the been market, an easier enjoy the, to... enjoy the ride. But anyway, so, so value might become a bit easier if we see a return to a more normal interest rate cycle. It may. and it, I mean, it could, it could be really quite pronounced also because when, when you start going down looking at the sectors, which are very important for value investors, um, the biggest one, um, the quarter of the M- MSCI value index actually are financials. And obviously financials are very um, sensitive to interest rates. Mm. And they're very out of favour at the moment for very good reasons. Yeah, in fact, um, sorry, just skipping uh, away at a tangent from, from your feature. The second feature this week is the final instalment of the, the SharePad uh, yeah. series that they've run with us. And it's, back, it's looking at banks. Yeah. And banks, you, you would suggest maybe there is an element of value about them at the moment. Well, yeah, yeah, well, if you price to book, I mean, which, which a lot of people look at, yeah, you can, you know, you can make a very, very strong argument just looking at the price to book ratio. Yeah, but I read, I read cheap. that piece and, you know, I'm not a fan of bank shares at the moment. I think there's a lot, they do face some significant he- business headwinds, not just kind of market or, t- or stylistic headwinds. It, it doesn't make comfortable reading. I think no, as well, no. every time you, fund managers that I've spoken to over the years since the crisis have talked about a recovery story in banks and every time it feels like that's gaining traction, something else comes along. It's either part of their banks don't start performing or there's more PPI or... I think they're also, also what, what um, I mean, because we, we, we all can all look at the banking set, the banks and go, oh my gosh, but the, that revulsion... <laughs> Is um, let's say how you express revulsion. Out <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> it's hard to continue, you know, continue on, on, on a train where I see you sniggering at me over the table, John. But, um, I mean, that, that, that is one of the hallmarks of a really great contrarian case when everyone has been so put off because they've disappointed again and again and again. And I'm not, I'm not saying that means that you know, they're you know, that that means we are going to see a big outperformance in banks, but um. One thing they definitely do have going for them is that if interest rates do rise and if the bond yield keeps on steepening, then their profits work, you know, work, work, work off of that. And also the ratings of their shares work off of that or that historically they have. Having said that, and, they are. And there's not, and there's, I mean, can you think what more can they come out with to make, to put people off? Surely, you know, 
we've we've reached well well i just surely. get we 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 must be close to the point of ma- maximum revulsion i just get i just worry so you know if if the interest rate cycle starts to turn in their favor again that other cycles might turn against them well so, yeah i mean that, so, that's the odd place we're in though isn't it because um no, normally you associate interest rate cycles with improve with the improvements in the economy and um is is that really what you know? What people are just trying to the banks seem to be more, more interested in normalising interest rates, or getting to a, a normal position where t- when times are still not too bad. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, so, so we have, for example, uh, Julie Dean, uh, a, a leading fund manager, is interviewed in the fund section this week, and she 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 suggests that we may actually be already in a in a, a down leg of the economic cycle here in the UK. You can kind of you kind of can sense that there's some truth to that. I think mm-hmm. Chris Benodi, uh, the hedge fund manager, who was a Brexiteer, so you know, take some gumption to say this, but I mean he's talking about an imminent UK recession this week. So so you know, yeah, the normal normalization I mean, of interest rates might work for the bank, but other headwinds may emerge. I mean, also that what Chris Benodi was saying as well was so linked to the um, what's happened to sterling, and now suddenly we're seeing, as we were talking about earlier, that sterling is kind of reviving. And I mean, we you know we're well, being, it's not reviving that much. No, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But as Brady was saying, a Trump win. You know who who. Who knows? I mean, obviously that, and there's the article, you know, Article Fifty Three. I mean, but, but that I mean, could get challenged. That could go to the yeah, Supreme no, of Court. Course it and, could. We're, we're all over the place at the moment. It just, it's come, it's, you know, it's, it's been a crazy time. Well, it's lucky we're hosting an event uh, on diversification this evening. So, uh, yeah, we'll be writing that up in the uh, in, in the foreseeable future once we've had it. Uh, but yeah, all over the place. Okay, so Alger, yeah, any concluding remarks on the uh, the springing to life of value strategies? I think a lot of it could come down to the um, rate cycle, and we've seen we have just had a month where um, value has outperformed quite well. So I mean, which does link in the idea that um, you know expectations that rates are are heading up. That's because at our last event a month ago, you said that gra- growth was better. <laughs> no, with, I, I actually with this 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 um, this marries up with them. Um, with, with that analysis, actually, because my, my argument at the growth event was that people should be paying f- far more attention to the price they're paying for growth. Yes. And um, so, so in a way, I mean, it, it, it was saying, listen, growth has been doing really well, but also watch out because the markets are expensive and you want to make sure you're not overpaying, it, you know, because you don't want to be caught out on the way down by, um, by massive um, derating. Yes. Which is a real danger for growth stocks. Listen to Hall. <laughs> <laughs> he knows the future. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm afraid not. Oh, yeah. yeah. But the rearview mirror can tell us a few things. But it can indeed. It can, it's the only thing that can tell us where the future might go. Anyway, enough philosophising on the nature of history. Any results this week, uh, Bradley, that you... Uh you wanted to point out? Well, I mean, it's pretty sparse in the results section at the moment, but I think we're going to have a bit of a, a, a bump in a few weeks when a, a few more Hooray! Uh, results come forward. But um, I mean, the, I only actually covered one myself this week, so I guess I'll talk about that one. Go on. It's a group which people might not know the name of. It's C&C. Oh, but they they will know the brands, Magnus and Bulmers, I'm sure, which are, are drinks that these guys produce. They had a bit of a tough one. But we, we've got them on a buy. I don't think it's a tip. It's a, a mini buy, as we kind of colloquially say uh, in the office. But yeah, the the main markets are Ireland and Scotland, and um, I think there probably was a mention of weather in there. Maybe. Oh no! Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, a, a, a big thing in Scotland actually was the um, there was some drink drive um, legislation implemented in the back end of 2014. Yes, I think. it's true. 
And so there was a lot of competition in Scotland last year and still this year to kind of just find the new sort of normal level of the market. So Scotland's actually quite a tough time for them. and It's quite a key market for them. And generally, supermarket price deflation has been problematic for them too. They have sort of seen their prices drop a little bit and there's demand from the supermarkets for things like smaller packaging from them so preference for aluminium cans over bottles and bottles would retail for a higher price so that's a bit problematic too so yeah it's all a bit pressurized at the moment but um they are kind of expanding slowly their joint ventures um which help them access the u.s market but that is quite small at the moment so not anywhere near enough to offset what is their the very much their key markets of Ireland, Scotland and mm. um, England and Wales. Yeah, it was never a favourite of mine when I was covering drinks. I thought, no. I thought the whole side of boom was a bit faddish and uh, their acquisitions looked a bit low rent. Yeah, I mean the thing is Magnus and Boomers aren't their market shares in the in, in the UK are just are just huge. It's part of the reason why I've kind of I've kept them ever so slightly begrudgingly on a buy, but I just think that those brands are going to endure what is a tough time in in retail um the supermarkets are rationalizing brands they're stocking fewer names but i can't see them not stocking magnums and bulmers so it feels like there's a base for me where cnc is concerned so that's why i'm kind of sticking with it for now all right fair enough fair enough so we haven't got many results as you say debenhams is another interesting one in there mm, uh yeah. got magazine have a look at that it's not been going so well there but well there's, there's obviously a bit of change going on their new chief executive i think has just started or is in the process of taking over from his incumbent um so yeah the, um the new chief exec wasn't on the call he wants to kind of is obviously getting his head down i think he has literally just joined and will be present at the next um update from them obviously which will be very very key because the high street's a tougher place at the moment we had an update from next i think this week or the back in the last week and they were finding things difficult i think full price sales were down slightly but their um their discounted sales were, were going okay but it just shows you that's just it's just such a tough area to be operating in so. yeah yeah and, and you know kind of that that toughness on the high street i mean some of that is going to be the fault of the rise of internet shopping but but some of it i just is is down to the fact that households are, are somewhat nervous and conservative in yeah. their spending habits at the moment, which kind of chimes with what we were saying about about the strength of the UK economy. Yeah. So yes, let's uh, let's uh, take a cautious approach. I would suggest. Uh, okay, brilliant. Thank you, Bradley. Thank you, Algie. Um, I think we've run through the main uh, things in the magazine this week. Only a few results, but we have an interesting sector focus uh, on South African mining from Alex Newman, another out-of-favour sector, which has, uh, has seen some green shoots recently. Lots in the personal finance and funds section. It's it's jam-packed and lots, of course, uh, of comment from Simon Thompson and Chris Dillo and The Trader and Bearable, as usual. Zombies on the cover. It's a week late. Halloween was this Monday. But- Unfortunately, we had the Investment Trust special, which we couldn't really move, given that it's pretty important but but we got there in the end (laughs) (laughs) after 10 years of inferior returns is value investing coming back to life let's hope so let's hope so thank you everybody thank you for listening pick up the magazine all good news agents four pound 70 or go online and subscribe thank you very much and see you next week hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life pretty litter is veterinarian developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.